There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for smart, successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, a love and life coach, and today I'll be joined by a guest to give you an inside look at the work I do with my clients. This is your opportunity to learn through someone else's experience. They may even ask a question you have or one you haven't even thought of yet. So keep an open mind, open heart, and let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to episode number 204 of the Love Life Connection podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited to be back in your earbuds again this week. And hey, I would really love to make this relationship we have a two-way street. I'm talking to you every week, and now I want to hear from you. And I've got two great places to do that. You can either send me an email at veronicagrant.com forward slash contact or hello at veronicagrant.com and tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me who you are and where you are are and your questions and how this podcast has helped you, what you want to see more of, what you want to see less of. It really helps me to make the show the best it could possibly be for you. And you can also send me a DM on Instagram. I'm Veronica E. Grant. All these links will be in the show notes. And obviously there, I love to get DMs from you. I love to hear from you, your questions, your thoughts, all of those good things. And if you don't follow me there, I really recommend you follow because I post some inspirational and some tips and advice and also cute puppy photos a few times a week. So if you want to stay connected during the week between each episode, I would really love to connect with you there. And one more thing before we get started, if you did not listen to my podcast challenge series from last week, I highly recommend you do. I release a daily episode Monday through Friday with the goal of helping you to get clarity over what you want and love and also clarity around what some blocks are and what some challenges are so you can finally get unstuck and around them and move towards love. 
And don't worry, each episode's only about 10 minutes long, so it's not going to take you hours to get through. So just scroll down on whatever podcast player you're listening to, and the last five episodes are from the podcast challenge. And I've also got a free workbook to go with the challenge. You can go to veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast challenge. That way, if you're listening on the go, then you can just download that and not worry about taking notes or pausing and starting again to write down the questions and the assignments and the tools that I give you. It's all right there in the little workbook. So again, that's veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast challenge. And I hope you enjoy that. And also that would be a great way or a great thing to connect with me about. So let me know what comes up for you with the challenge. You can tell me your responses from each of the day's challenges, what you learned, what your next steps are going to be, whatever it is over on Instagram or on my email. Okay, so on to today's episode. So I just want to tell you a quick, funny, it's not really a story, it's just an observation that I've had in my life. Sometimes when I'm hanging out with my husband, Stevie, I just get like flashes of my dad. And it totally freaks me out. And it's so weird to me, but they have some very, very similar characteristics and mannerisms. Now, there are some things about them that are very, very different, like their politics and, you know, the way they eat and things like that. But there are some things that are very, very similar. Just one big thing is they're both engineers. My dad's an electrical engineer. Stevie is mechanical industrial engineer. And according to Stevie, that means because they're different kinds of engineers, they're totally different breeds of people. But I'm kind of like, "Eh, I don't know, I kind of think engineers have a certain way of looking at the world and interacting with the world. And I can see a lot of similarities between my dad and Stevie and that. And then there's also just some like really, really weird mannerisms that they have. And one thing that they do, which is like totally weird to me, is they both say the word chocolate the same. Now I say chocolate, like chocolate, that's how I say it. And my dad says chocolate, like he puts a almost like a nasally A on that first O. And it almost to me sounds like a kind of a New York or like, I don't know, some kind of Northern accent. Now, my dad is born and raised in South Carolina, and Stevie says chocolate the same way. He also has kind of like a emphasis on that first O. He says chocolate. And he's from New Jersey, so to me, that makes a little bit more sense. So it's just so weird that they say it the same way. And another fun, also kind of freaky fact, is I'm a Capricorn. You all know that. Not big news. Stevie is a Gemini. You might know that. And Stevie's mom is a Capricorn, and my mom is a Gemini. So that's super freaky. I've got some theories, but you know, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are. If there's any kind of freaky things like that going on in your family, I'd be curious to hear. My point in sharing all of this is that it's totally normal to attract partners who are like your parents. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, nor does it mean you have like all of these inner childhood wounds that like aren't healed and you're playing those out or whatever. I mean, it's perfectly normal. And it makes a lot of sense when you really think about it because your parents are the first adults that you know, or your parents or whoever your caretakers were, and you closely interact with them. And so their mannerisms, their characteristics and their traits become the lens in which you see what normal is. You believe when you're a kid that the way your parents are, the way that things are done at your home are how everyone is. Like it takes a long time. It takes, I don't know, it depends on kind of the person and the situation, but it might take even into adulthood to realize, oh, wow, the way that my parents interacted, the way we did this, the way we did that is not how everybody does it. But when you're a kid, you have no idea. So these little mannerisms and these little characteristics and traits just become completely normal. And so it becomes familiar to you. And there's a comfort in that familiarity. And 
for better or worse, being comforted feels like love, right? And so in unhealthy situations, it can be mistaken for love. And in healthy situations, it can just feel good. It can feel reassuring on a deeper subconscious level. So again, it's not always bad that you might be attracted to partners that are similar to your parents or the dynamics that your parents had in some ways. So the issue is when you're attracted to people like your parents or their dynamics, but they're not healthy behaviors or dynamics. They're not things that you want to repeat, which brings me to today's caller. So my caller, Cassie, is concerned because she's attracting men with narcissistic tendencies who have some similar traits and relationship dynamics to that of her father, which obviously she doesn't want to have or replicate anymore. And she's consciously aware of them, but isn't sure how to stop it or how to be attracted to or attract men who have healthy relationship dynamics and behaviors. So I think you're going to love this episode, especially if you can relate or especially if you're afraid of attracting people like your parents or relationships like your parents. So without further ado, let's dig right in. Hi, Cassie. Welcome to the show. How can I help? Hi, Veronica. My question today is everybody says that you kind of fall in love with, you know, your parents and I guess my question is, is just how do you get away from that kind of mentality? How do you kind of shy away from falling in love with, you know, for example, my dad, he's a narcissist. So how do I avoid narcissists in my love life? Is there a certain situation right now that's inspiring this question or or what? I just have a history of falling for narcissists. So I just kind of want to shy away from those red flags. But if that's kind of the only relationship I've had with the opposite sex, it's kind of hard to know, I guess, when it becomes a red flag, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So why don't you I mean, obviously, I know we work together. So I know a little bit about you. But just so everyone can kind of be on the same page that's listening. Why don't you tell us a little bit about tell me, What's the dynamic, you know, if you're just to describe the essential dynamic between you and your dad, especially as it was growing up, how would you describe it? I guess he wanted me to be a perfectionist in the way he, you know, narcissists think very highly of themselves. So, you know, they kind of expect everybody around them to think highly of themselves as well. Kind of like if I'm going to have you in my life, then you kind of have to be as good as I am and so on and so forth. So growing up, it was very hard. You know, you kind of had to have perfect grades and perfect relationships, perfect friends, perfect family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of made it really, really hard to, I guess, be myself in a way. And, you know, that kind of bled into because it also I adopted some of those narcissistic tendencies. And, you know, I catch myself in those moments. But how do I catch that in a partner? Okay. How do I shy away from that when I'm looking for a partner? Okay. Okay. Tell me this. What happened when you were younger and you did make good grades or you scored a soccer goal or, you know, whatever you did the thing that would make your dad happy? What happened? Pretty much nothing. It was almost like my dad, he was like, Hey, you're supposed to do that. What do you want? A cookie kind of mentality when it came to that. Okay. How did you know that it was the thing that he wanted, that it was a quote unquote good thing? Well, I didn't get yelled at. I didn't get punished. I didn't get corrected or anything. It was just almost like a a silent treatment. It's like, okay, okay, you did what you were supposed to do. Now let's move on to the next thing. 
Okay, got it. And what would happen if you didn't good grade or, you know, didn't make first chair in band or whatever? Then it would be chaos. Like it would be kind of hell. You know, I grew up in a military family. My dad's in the military. So, you know, we would run calisthenics in the morning and then I would do my homework and then I would get it checked by him. And if it wasn't correct, then I had to do it all over again. And, you know, it was kind of a, you know, a cycle or you got grounded or. Okay. So it seems like you're wanting to, we're just going to call it perform, performing, meaning like good, good grades, do well in whatever thing your dad wanted you to do. So it seemed like you wanted to perform, not necessarily to get his love and affection, because that didn't seem available at any time, but more so to keep the peace and stay safe. Does that feel true? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. And how does that parallel to the relationships that you attract as an adult? I guess I kind of have the same mentality. I don't want to upset my partner. You know, I don't want to make my feelings known, which, you know, working with you, you know, that's an issue that I have is just being affectionate and trusting another human being to show my emotions and to, you know, talk about that. And I not only did that with my dad, I also do it with, you know, in my relationships. And given the fact that I seem to date narcissists and jerks, you know, it it just kind of also bleeds into you don't want to upset a narcissist either because they're always right. Okay. The reason why I asked is because Mm -hmm. people listening or, you know, other clients that I work with can have very similar experiences growing up, but the way that it manifests itself can be very different from person to person. And so sometimes when there's a narcissist parent, it's like you're trying to get their love. You want to get their attention and affection. You get it like in fleeting moments. And that can often create the high highs and the low lows. And then we repeat that as an adult. We went the relationship and we can think of that high high and we're like, oh, that's love and that's what I want, right? But that's not your pattern. You're experiencing something different. And what yours is, is like, it's not safe to be me. It's not safe to feel how I feel. It's not safe to share what I think. None of that is safe. And so that's actually the work that you have to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. How does that feel? Does that sound scary? Does that sound doable? I mean, it's definitely scary, you know, when you've gone your entire life thinking that, you know, your feelings are supposed to be kind of kept inside and not expressed. Or if they are expressed, they're, you know, it's like you're talking to a brick wall you know, it's a very hard pattern to change. Yeah. So there's a few things that I want to just share and then we'll get into the tactical of like, okay, how do we actually do this? So the first thing is that I just want you to, I know you're very hard on yourself and I think most people are very hard on themselves, at least the women listening to this podcast because, you know, like attracts like. And so the first is I just want you to be really compassionate with yourself that this is something new that you're doing. This new thing, meaning you're going to, be, I don't want to just say like, oh, you're going to be yourself because that just sounds like so cliche and like, what does that actually mean? Right. But that you are going to be asking for what you want and need. You're going to be sharing how you think and feel. And there's going to be times when you're not sure if you're in a safe place to do that. You're not sure if you can trust the other person because it's all new. Right. And that's okay. And you're going to make quote unquote mistakes and you'll get it wrong sometimes. And I, (laughs) The first thing is like, you've just got to be super, super compassionate with yourself because if you're just so afraid that you're going to mess up, then, you know, I can give you all the like the tools and the assignments in the world, but you're not going to get very far because you're just going to be kind of treating yourself the way your dad treats you. Makes sense. Makes sense. (laughs) So put your hand over your heart (laughs) and say, I, Cassie. (laughs) 
I, Cassie, will be compassionate with myself. Will be compassionate with myself. As I embark on this new way to relating with people. As I embark on this new way to relating to people. And so it is. And so it is. So you can repeat that as many times as you need. You can, you know, write it in your journal or lock screen on your phone or wherever if you need to remind yourself. But that's the most important piece. Like if you're not doing that, then you've basically then, and this is very common, we internalize a lot of times our caretakers. And so often we can treat ourselves the way our primary caretaker treated us, right? And if it was any kind of abuse, and maybe it wasn't even abuse, but it just wasn't like nice behavior, then that continued to hold us back. And then it just perpetuates and repeats the cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So whenever we're looking to shift our patterns, shift what we're doing, we always want to look at the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And I think the emotional, spiritual are the two pieces that we have to look at first. Because if I were just to be like, okay, Cassie, you're going to go on a date or you're going to go on Tinder. You're going to swipe and swipe and swipe until someone you know writes you back and you get a date plan and you're going to tell them how you feel. Right. If I were just to be like, that's your first assignment, you'll be like, uh, what? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can do that. Right. And not that that wouldn't be like a good thing to do or try, it's not necessarily the first step because the emotional and spiritual is really what helps us to then do things differently because we're operating on a different foundation rather than like a faulty, crappy foundation. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So obviously this is going to go back to inner child work because that's what it all does. So I want you to just think in your mind right now, is there anything that comes up? I know we talked about your dad. Is there anything specific memory or an experience or a conversation that you can remember? It doesn't have to be perfect. That comes up for you that really just feels, I mean, maybe it's just the first memory that comes up or just a really strong memory, but it really is just like the epitome of what your relationship was like with your dad growing up. Does it have to be like childhood or can it be like adulthood? So I think when we're working through a lot of different memories, I think it's totally fine to pull some stuff from adulthood. But when we're trying to look for the core wound because we want to heal it, I think it's more important that it's something from our developmental years. I guess it would probably be, you know, how every kid or most kids learn to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. And my dad's way of teaching you how to ride a bike is you don't start with training wheels. You go ahead and you jump right in and you start riding a bike. And I refused to do it. I was too scared. I didn't want to get on the bike. And he pushed me to the point of picking me up and putting me on this bike and pushing me down a hill. And, you know, I fell, of course. And that was just kind of, we kept doing it until I was able to ride the bike. And, you know, it hurt because he wasn't listening to my fears and what I was going through. You know, most kids, their first experience is like a trike or, you know, a bike with the training wheels on it. You know, my first experience with a bike was I'm getting up on a two wheeled bike and I have absolutely no stability and I'm going to fall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your parents are supposed to be there to catch you when you fall. And I just didn't feel that way with my dad, especially in that moment. Yeah. It's like, I get that he's trying to get me to learn, you know, it's like, Hey, let's make this a speedy learning experience, whatever, you know, with him being in the military. But when it comes to teaching a, you know, a six-year-old child how to ride a bike, that's not exactly the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. 
If today's conversation resonated with you and this feels like something you need, it's possible. There are spots right now available to work with me privately. Together, we can unravel your dating patterns, clear your love blocks, and get you into the relationship you desire and deserve by digging into your constitution, your childhood, and your previous relationships. Working with me privately means I can meet you where you're at and hold your hand through the process. It doesn't matter if you've never done this work or you've been doing it for years. All that matters is that you're done with where you're at and you're ready to find love in the next 12 months and are ready to invest the time and money in radically changing your life. To explore if this is the right fit for you, please visit me at veronicagrant.com forward slash coaching to learn more and schedule your introductory call with me. So I know that as an adult, you rationalize some of it and you're like, I know he was just trying to do this and he's in the military. So it's his way of thinking like, yada, 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 like, like we can rationalize it now. Right. And that's really where a lot of us get stuck in our growth and our healing is because we're just mentally processing everything. So how did your, you said you're about six years old ish. How did your six year old, how did she feel? And what was the story she told herself about this experience? Well, I see if it helps you to connect. I mean, being six years old, you don't really, you know, understand a whole lot. So it's like, you know, your dad is here yelling at you and, you know, scaring you and pushing you to, you know, do something that you don't want to do or that you're scared to do. And, you know, it's just an all around scary experience, you know, being six and just, you know, not having somebody there to catch you when you're falling off of a bike. You know, it's not like you're you know, falling into a cloud of pillows or anything, you're falling on gravel, you're falling on the ground and that hurts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So go ahead and close your eyes for me. And I want you to bring your six-year-old self into your mind's eye and and just see her in the situation. And she's, you know, I think you mentioned either the word fear or scared. I didn't count how many times, but a number of times. So that's really the overwhelming emotion here. And it seems pretty fitting to where you are now because you're a lot of fear around sharing what you think or standing up for yourself or honoring your boundaries. So let me know when you can really see and feel the six-year-old girl in your mind's eye. Okay. Okay. I just want you to sit with the feeling for a moment. And it sounds like she needed an adult to you know, help her through her fear because fear is not bad. It's not a bad thing to be afraid. It's a new thing. Even if you had training wheels, you'd probably still be somewhat scared. But you needed someone just to support you through that fear and to metaphorically and maybe even physically catch you when you would fall. So what would you want to tell this little girl or what do you wish she had been told at the time? I guess somebody just be kinder to her. You know, it's like, you know, it's a scary experience, but you're going to be proud of the progress that you make and, you know, just kind of, you know, ease her fear. So I want you to talk into first person. So as if you were talking to her, okay. you want her to know, what would you want to tell her? That everything's going to be okay. And you're going to be so proud of yourself whenever you're, you know, all your friends are still riding with four wheels and you're know, running around town with your two wheels because you're a big girl and it'll all be worth it. And I'm going to be here for you to, you know, kiss your boo-boos and, you know, pick you up when you fall and write you back up on your bike. Mm-hmm. Is there any desire to let her know that it's, it's okay to be scared and it was scary experience? Yeah. Anything else you want to share with her? 
that I love her and, you know, she's special and, you know, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. Okay. So how was that for you? It was good. Did you feel any kind of softening come up for you? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like all of these patterns are going to change with one, you know, session of inner child work. And this was fairly brief, but over time, you know, you know, you didn't get the support that you needed from your dad and your dad made you believe. And it wasn't even that you made you believe that was really the situation where it literally was not safe to say what you think, to say what you feel, you know, like you said, there would have been chaos. And when you're six years old, that feels really scary. I mean, chaos is always scary, but it's especially scary when it comes from our parents, because when you're that little, your parents are seen as like almost godlike figures. They're like all knowing, all doing. (laughs) They're the first adults that you really know in your life. And we receive what we believe to be unconditional love from them. And then when that unconditional love doesn't appear to be there, it actually gets imprinted in the brain as trauma, right? So like it really is a traumatic experience for a little kid to go through that. And so part of the not attracting people like your dad is to fill that void that he left from your childhood. Does that make sense? Am I filling that void or am I looking for somebody to fill that void? Well, right now you're looking for someone to fill that void, but what you want to do is you want to fill that void yourself. And that's why we attract people like our parents. I mean, there's a couple of different things we can talk about in a second. What I want to say now is your dad left a void of not having that fatherly masculine love that you wanted. He didn't create that sense of safety and that sense of comfort. I mean, maybe in some ways he did because there is some level of stability, you know, in terms of like food on the table if, you know, if he was in the military, but there wasn't that sense of stability and that like something you said could set him off or set off this other chaotic episode. Right. And so that just leaves a wound, right? That's hard to go through for anybody. And it's especially hard for a six-year-old who really doesn't get it. And the only, the only thing they can possibly think at that time is to take it personally and think it's something about them, something's wrong with them. And that creates a void, right? And then as an adult, you want to fill that void. And so we tend to fill that void with relationship dynamics and characteristics in people that feel familiar because it's like that little six-year-old girl who just wants dad's approval, who just wants dad's love, who just wants his attention or affection or whatever it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess my question is, is if I'm trying to fill this void, why am I looking for my dad in people when I should not be looking for my dad in people? Because a lot of attraction actually happens on the subconscious level. Right. And so another way that this happens is sometimes we just, we're attracted to people that are like our parents and it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It could just be a mannerism or it could just be like a hobby or a characteristic that has nothing to do with like inner child wounding. And the reason why we might be attracted to that is because there's a lot to be said for someone or something feeling really comfortable and familiar right? Like, you know how sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, I met this person and it just feels like I've known them forever. And it's like, yeah, well, you kind of have because they're probably like your mom or dad. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good point. 
And so because there can be comfort and some familiarity and being attracted to someone or comfort and familiarity and characteristics or relationship dynamics that we're, you know, familiar with, we can often mistake that for love. And so that's why we'll often be attracted to this person rather than someone else who might actually have more healthy relationship dynamics, but it's not familiar. There's not, so there's not that comfort factor in there because it's, again, it's new. The brain doesn't like to do new things. And so because of that, it just doesn't feel like love or what we think is love, right? And so part of this then is the emotional piece of filling that void yourself so that you can then begin to see consciously how you're attracting certain kinds of people and how you're not attracting certain kinds of people based on characteristics and things you're playing out from dad. And once you begin to do some of this healing, so there's not that deep need to fill that void or that deep subconscious need to fill that void, then from there, it's much easier to take conscious actions of, okay, this person is like my dad or this person does not seem to fully accept me for who I am, or I just told this person how I feel and they're completely ignoring me or they completely disregarded it, or they made me feel like I was wrong to feel a certain way. When you begin to feel that void yourself, like that kind of behavior just no longer becomes tolerable for you. Okay. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so then it's almost like, I don't want to say you repel those type of people, but it's like you meet that kind of person and you're like, yeah, hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) And you move on to into the next Mm. person. And also, I think there's something to be said for, you know, I don't really give advice with coaching, like coaching is like, you know, coaching. But one thing that I always encourage clients, I encourage even my friends to do it. And I would say even in some ways in my life, I did it too, but to go out with someone that you feel like you normally never would. And this is a really fun exercise to try because in some ways, like Stevie is not who I thought I would end up with. And for a lot of my clients, like they will say yes to a Tinder date or an OkCupid date or whatever to someone that they would normally say no to. And it goes really well. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to marry that person, but mm-hmm. it just begins to expose you to a different kind of relationship and becoming more familiar and more comfortable with those healthy relationships start with you. So if you're disregarding your own feelings, if you're shit talking yourself, if you're kind of treating yourself the way your dad treated you, then again, these unhealthy dynamics and romantic relationships are also going to begin to mirror that. Because again, that's the whole comfort and the familiarity factor. And that's just what's going to then say, oh, I think this is love because it feels comfortable, familiar. If you're being really kind to yourself and reparenting yourself and practicing that compassion that we talked about at the beginning of this call, then you're going to eventually be able to much easier mirror that kind of relationship that you want with a partner because you're treating yourself really great. It's not going to be perfect, but you're treating yourself great. And then someone else comes along and like disregards your boundaries or feelings and you're like, yeah, fuck that. And then you meet someone who doesn't do that. They honor your boundaries. They seem kind and genuine. And then that relationship will feel more comfortable because you're going to be used to that experience within yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, great. So what are you learning or what did you learn today? (sighs) Well, I mean, we've been talking about how I need to be better, you know, better to myself. So (laughs) that's obviously my first step is just accepting me for who I am and, you know, not being so hard on myself and, So so let's give you some tangible actions because I think it's really great to say, oh, I'm going to not be so hard on myself. 
you know, I'm going to be nice to myself. So what's something that you commonly do when you're being an ass to yourself? Do you like shit talk yourself in your head or like, what do you do? Yeah, I pretty much, I call it going down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Okay. Okay, great. So then the next time you catch yourself going down a rabbit hole, instead of just like vaguely ending this call today with, I'm going to be nice to myself. What is one tangible thing you can do when you start to go down that rabbit hole? Well, I can do because I have anxiety. So what my um, husband taught to me is to kind of find five things around you that have something to do with your senses. And, you know, that's really helped me with my anxiety. And maybe I can adopt that for when I'm going, when I'm shit talking myself too. Yeah. Maybe it can be like, I really love that actually for anxiety because anxiety, you know, is basically when you're future tripping and like being present will help to counteract that. So I love that. So if you're shit talking yourself, one thing that you could do is, okay, I'm just going to say five awesome things about me. You know, what are five great things about me right now or today? Or what are five things that I'm grateful for? Or maybe you'll say like, maybe in that moment, you'll connect with your inner child and say something, you know, really kind and sweet to her that she really needed to hear at the time. The opportunities and the options are endless, but I just want you to come up with a few tangible things that you can do when you shit talk, when you go down the rabbit hole, when you you know begin to question or doubt yourself or whatever the quote unquote bad habit is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Great. Well, we will chat much more about this, but I hope this call was really helpful for you. Yeah, it was. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cassie, for coming onto the show. As always, I'm so appreciative of your vulnerability and your willingness to ask this question. I know a lot of women listening can definitely relate and have a lot of the same fears and frustrations as you. So thank you. Thank you. And speaking of being coached on the show, I would love to coach you. So if you would like to be coached by me for free, then send me an email, hello at veronicagrant.com or send me a DM, Veronica E. Grant. And anyone who would like is able to come on to the show. The only requirement is that you have not been on the show before. So even if you are a current or a past client or you've never spoken before in real life, then I would love to have you. So again, send me an email, hello at veronicagrant.com or send me a DM, Veronica E. Grant. Okay, so let's break down this episode a little bit. So like I said, attracting people like your parents is completely normal and it's not always a bad thing. And I really just want to emphasize that. It's really okay if you notice some similar characteristics between the people that you date or maybe the person that you're with now or the person that you were with for a long time and your parents. Obviously, if the characteristics or the dynamics aren't healthy, that's when you wanna dig in to figure out what's going on so that you can do something different. And here's the thing, like, I don't want you to beat yourself up about it or, you know, shit talk yourself or whatever, because you're actually working against biology here. The brain doesn't want to do anything new. And I've said this before a million times on the podcast, but I can't say it enough because it is so true. The brain doesn't want to do anything new. It loves routine and it especially loves autopilot. So when you meet someone who is similar to your parents and that feels familiar, it feels comfort, it's just easy for the brain to just go into autopilot and do what it knows how to do. When you're asking it to be on a date or to be in a relationship with someone where there's a healthy dynamic or a different kind of dynamic than what you're used to, it's just naturally a lot harder. And your brain's going to want to kind of like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too much. I don't know. Maybe this person isn't right. And it's very 
common to either just lose attraction or tell yourself you lose attraction or to make all these excuses as to why the person isn't right for you because it just feels a little bit hard. But over time, it will feel easier because you will slowly be able to go on autopilot because you know what a healthy dynamic and relationship feels like. It's kind of like how when you were really, really little, you may not even remember this because parents do this when we're really, really little. Every single night, you probably were made to brush your teeth. And when you're really little, just getting into that habit, it was probably a fight all the time and you probably didn't want to do it. And it was probably just a big headache, right? And if not for you, maybe for one of your siblings, or maybe if you have kids, you can relate to this being on the adult side. But over time, it just becomes what you do. And now at this point, if you lay down in bed and you you know, lay down for like five minutes and you're ready to go to sleep, then you think, oh crap, I haven't brushed my teeth. It's like you can't go to sleep at that point. You have to get up and brush your teeth before you go to sleep, right? That's how ingrained it becomes. And it's just the same thing. It just takes a little bit of discipline and definitely some inner work to heal whatever wound is creating the attraction. But over time, your brain will be able to work in autopilot in a way that is desirable for you, but it's just going to take some discipline. It's going to take some time and it's definitely going to take some healing. And the first step, the first step to anything is always awareness. You don't know what you don't know. So if you don't have the awareness of who you're attracting and why, it's really hard to shift. So if you're not even sure who you're attracting or why you're attracting or like what the pattern is or what the connection is between them and your parents or whatever, you might want to just start with asking yourself those questions and doing some journaling and some meditation because it's really hard to shift it if you don't know what to shift or why you're attracting it in the first place. And if you're confused about that, then make sure you listen to the podcast challenge from last week. Anyways, once you have the awareness, the key then is twofold. One is to fill the void the parent left so that you don't have the need to have others fill it for you. And that's really where the unhealthy dynamic really plays out because you want that love from dad or mom or whoever it was, you want that approval. And so it's very natural then to go out looking in the world for people who feel like mom or dad because you're like, oh, that puzzle piece fits into this void. That's the same shape, but it's really not, right? And so that's what creates the pattern in the cycle over and over and over and over again until the point you think something's wrong with you or whatever. So That's the first piece that you have to shift within yourself. Then the second piece is you have to change the dynamic within yourself because this is something that I hear all the time. I don't even know what a healthy relationship looks and feels like. I don't even think I know how to do it. And the truth is, is that sure, it might be totally true that you've never witnessed a healthy relationship. It might be totally true that you've never been in a healthy relationship, I'm not trying to discredit that or tell you that you're wrong. I hear you. And I know that's true for a lot of women listening. But I also want to be really clear that relationships aren't rocket science. And I do believe that deep down, you know what feels good and you know what doesn't feel good. And if you're not sure about like what's a boundary, what's acceptable behavior, it's only because you've got a lot of other people's voices and shoulds and crap all in your brain that just comes from the media, other people's experiences, what your friends think, what your mom thinks, what your roommate thinks, what whoever thinks. So that doesn't mean there's not some sort of learning curve for you. There totally could be a learning curve, but for the most part, like it's not as hard as you make it out to be. And that's not to say that relationships are supposed to be easy breezy, feeling like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. I don't mean it's easy in that sense or that it's not hard in that sense, but I mean that you know when something 
doesn't feel good or when something feels off. Because usually when I'm in a conversation with a client about this, they'll come to me and the way that they're phrasing the question is they know whatever the other person did didn't feel good or didn't feel right or wasn't nice or whatever. There is a little bit of doubt in their brain as to whether or not, well, maybe my expectations are too high or whatever. But the way that they're phrasing the question to me is they know that and they just need my permission almost or my validation. Of course, I'm not just going to give them my validation. I'm going to help them to see that they can trust their gut and that they do know. But I promise you, if you think you don't know what a healthy relationship looks and feels like, you might not have ever seen it. You might not have ever experienced it. But you knew that something wasn't healthy. You knew that something wasn't good because it didn't feel good. So why would that make you think that you didn't know or wouldn't know what feels good in a relationship, right? So let's not make this harder than it needs to be. And let's really trust yourself that you do know what a healthy relationship is going to look and feel like. And you do know what is acceptable versus unacceptable behavior. Okay, so another key to shifting this and becoming more comfortable with being in a healthy dynamic in a relationship is to really focus on the relationship with yourself. And I talked about this a lot with Cassie and it's super, super important. A lot of times, especially, you know, when Cassie is a perfect example and you might not have the exact same situation as Cassie, but you can probably relate in some way, you might have internalized your parents' voices. And so that might lead to a lot of shit talking yourself, treating yourself the way your parents treated you or your mom or your dad, whoever it was treated you. Maybe you don't honor your own boundaries. You don't keep promises you make to yourself. Maybe you judge yourself when you're sad or just not feeling good. And if you do that, then that becomes your norm. That becomes what you accept in the world. And it may not feel good, but you're like, yeah, this is just kind of the way it is. And so when that's your relationship with yourself, it's much harder than to be in a healthy relationship because your bar is just so low of what you're willing to accept from other people. And so the best way to know what a healthy relationship is supposed to look and feel like and how to be in a healthy relationship is to start it with yourself. Because I promise you, if you are treating yourself in a much nicer, kinder, gentler way, the way you might treat your own child or the way you might treat a really good friend, then you're going to put up with a lot less crap. And then that brings me back to what I said before is that you know what a healthy relationship is and isn't. And that just becomes even more clear. And it's even easier from that place to trust yourself and you're like, eh, doesn't feel good. I'm going to let this person go. Or I'm going to tell them what I need and see what comes with that and see if they're able to, you know, move forward with that, change the behavior or not. So this all creates more awareness so that when you do go out and date and meet someone, you can be more conscious of some of these unconscious behaviors. You can ask yourself, why am I attracted to this person? Is it a healthy attraction? Or am I attracting from this place of pain or that void that I was talking about with Cassie? You can also ask yourself, who does this person remind me of? And why do they remind me of that person? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? And then from there, depending on what comes up, you can make some informed decisions about your actions, you know, based on what you figure out. And then finally, one of my favorite things to have my clients and even some of my friends do is once you start to date, try going out with people you normally wouldn't. So if you feel like you have a type, whether it's a physical type or a personality or just a type of person, I would really encourage you to just try dating people who are outside of that type. Doesn't mean that that person's going to be your soulmate and you're going to end up forever or like whatever, but who knows? I'm open to anything. However, I just want it to be more of an experiment for you and see what comes up and see what happens. 
All right. So that's all I've got for you this week. Next week, I've got a super duper special guest on the show. And we're talking all things periods, birth control and preserving fertility. It's a really good one. And I'm so excited to share it with you. So I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. And that's also the place you can sign up to be coached by me here on the show. And if you love this podcast, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps more incredible women like you find this show and find real love. Until next time, remember, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You're not broken and you don't need to be fixed. Just because you've never had the relationship you want before doesn't mean you can't have it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.